my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> Let's hop in. Uh, this is uh, kind of a, a learning process, I know, for me and I are both. Uh, I've been on a podcast or two. He's been on several, but um, putting one together is a is a different deal entirely. But um, <clears throat> kind of our thought with this podcast, at least my thought, Ira, you can elaborate too, is, you know, I know I get a few questions here and there. I know Ira gets a bunch. Um, usually for me, it's centered around all the different things that, that we're doing or, or that I'm doing. And, and I know he's He's similar, whether that's hunting or business or entrepreneurship or, or family stuff, work stuff. Um, it's just kind of something that, you know, I always think, and I know Ira does, you think here, you know, I kind of divide my life into seasons and the more you get going, the more those seasons kind of overlap. So um, I'm always looking forward to something. I've always got something on the back burner, the front burner and spilled all over the place. But it's just kind of cool to when you sit down and look at it and talk with folks and, and ask them questions. You can learn about what they're doing. Hopefully we have some cool guests on here and um, just be a, a place where folks can discuss things and, and ask some of the questions that I'm always thinking about whenever I'm listening to a podcast. Um, some of the questions that I know, you know, people that might listen to this one might have, I hope to be a place where we can, we can do that and hopefully have some interesting conversations. Uh, if you want to elaborate on that, Ira, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, I think that we just have such a an interesting community and you know our community is going to be centered around waterfowl hunting dogs duck camps uh and then you know if you look at our community there's we're, we're blessed and lucky or unlucky duck hunting is is an expensive game dogs are an expensive game so we are blessed and fortunate that we do have a lot of people that have been you know out of the box thinkers successful in life and so I think it'd be cool for us to focus a little bit, not not exclusively, but a little bit on on talking to the, our guests about, okay, you know, tell us about your place. Tell us about your business. How did you get there? How, how did you come across that property? How did you make your money? You know, just all those things, because I think there's some pretty cool stories to be, you know, talked about there and found out there. And maybe people can, you know. It'll, maybe it'll trip a couple triggers, light a couple fires in people's own lives. Um, so that's just one component of it that we've kind of talked about, you know, trying to focus on is within our community. Um, what are, who are some interesting characters that have been successful in life, uh, have some cool properties, whatever the case may be. And what's their story about how they got there? I think something that we can offer a little bit uh, that would be cool for different listeners, different ages and different stages in life is, you know, hopefully we'll, between you and me and hopefully some of the folks we can have on, we can touch on maybe different approaches for different folks. You know, there might be people that uh, have a lot of money that, that have some money. It's all relative, as you say, but that have some money that are willing to, hey, I want to I want to buy a duck club now and I got a bunch of money burning a hole in my pocket. Or there might be somebody that's more along the lines of of me and how I've been like, who can I, what doors can I beat on and how you've been too, but we're just in different stages right now. But, you know, there might be people all, all on the journey, like, Hey, I got 20 bucks or Hey, I got 20 million. But, you know, if you got a common theme and, a, and an interest in duck hunting, you know, it, it might be interesting for people to hear how, 
you know, maybe you got some of your properties or made some of your connections, maybe how I did, maybe how some of the folks that we interview have made their way. And I, I know we're going to get into some cool stories because when you have people in camp or I'm hunting with folks, very rarely is it, how did that duck come in or how many did you kill that day? You know, it's, hey, how, how did you ever come about that place? How did you figure that spot out? Did you buy it? Did you lease it? Did you, how did you, how did you even know it was available? How did you build it? Like, that's the stuff that interests me. I know that's the stuff that interests you. And hopefully that's the stuff that interests the folks that would be tuning in. The way I look at this podcast, it's like uh, having a kid. I mean, we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know, you know, our kid may start off at one college and playing a sport or not. And he may end up, I mean, you look at my life, I'm a veterinarian. And I'm still a veterinarian, but I made a lot of decisions along the way that people thought were insane. And here we go and made a lot of found some success along the way that was definitely not in the veterinary channel and got got made fun of and chastised and ridiculed <laughs> and by different people along the way. Still this, do. That's just what we think day one. We'll see where it goes, but that's kind of what we're thinking. And I'm not neither of us are like proud enough to think that anybody's gonna give a shit whatsoever. So maybe maybe nobody will, but um but if they do, I think listen joe <laughs> maybe we'll be the only two we'll listen to it all the time um well okay so i'm not another thing i don't want to assume is that is that everybody knows who we are hopefully we get some folks that do listen that that have never heard of either one of us lucky for them but um just a basic intro we've kind of talked about a little bit about where we want the podcast to go um i'll just give kind of a basic intro of myself uh hopefully this evolves as we go but you know me i live in central missouri um, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I, I like to hunt. I love to hunt about everything. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over because you know, when I get on something, it's just, it's a hundred percent, a thousand percent to the point of nauseam. And, and that's not a good thing, but that's kind of how it is. So whether that's deer hunting, duck hunting, dove hunting, golf, I'm glad I'm not into gambling so much anymore. I mean, it's Red Bull. I don't care what it is. It's just, a thousand miles an hour all the time. So I own a couple businesses. I'm a partner in a couple businesses, rental houses, trying to buy a car and flip it for 300 bucks. Like it just seems like I can never turn that part off. So that and the hunting both, I, I don't know that they go well together, but they go together. And um, so that's, you know, what I do. And my, my sole business or my primary business, I guess, is uh, I have a, just a small marketing, social media management, content creation business, and um, working for customers and clients, marketing pro programs and, and products for clients in real estate, uh, different industries, manufacturing, some in the hunting industry, really a broad, a broad variety of customers. But that's kind of, that's kind of to sum up what I'm doing on a daily basis would usually fall into to one of those categories. So why don't you give us a brief kind of rundown of yourself too? Well, I'm Ira McCauley. I'm 52 years old. So, you know, I, I probably, when I was 29, was wired a whole lot more like Joe than I am now. The way that Joe and I got hooked up is kind of interesting. Um, I was the founder and, and owner of Momarsh, which, you know, most plenty of our waterfowl people would have heard of that. And we created products uh, that were really, you know, just unique tools to be basically mobile, comfortable, and on the on the X for uh, for duck hunting, and then and then for dogs too. You know, we have dog training products, and there's a dog focus for dog comfort and and hiding and all that stuff. But the way that we met each other was, you know, I was 
building the brand and coming up with new products and, and we were growing quick and everything was clicking right along, but I really didn't know much of anything about social media. And frankly, it was all pretty new. Remember when I was 29, there was no cell phone, smartphone. Uh, the internet was brand new. It, it kind of blew everyone's mind. People maybe had a computer, maybe didn't, but if you had a cell phone, it was a bag phone that was in your truck <laughs> out the window about three or four times a year because I was tired of people calling me because I'm also a veterinarian. <laughs> Back then, I was doing large animal work, and, man, the phone would just never quit ringing, so I'd throw it out the window of my truck, and then they'd come bang on my door. But but back to the story how Joe and I met, he called me up, some kid, and he's like, hey, your social media, frankly, is almost non-existent, and what you have is really bad. And I was like, yeah, that's 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 true. And he was like, uh, I can I can help you. And, and so he started just sending me some stuff. And I was like, well, that's that's an effort, which is more than we're doing currently. And some of it, some of it was fairly interesting and definitely out of the box of what I could do. So he came up with a little proposal and I was like, let's try it. And uh, I'd never even met the kid. And I'm like, OK. And he was like, well, I, I want to come up and, and meet you. I was like, well, just come hunting. So then he came and started hunting with me, and and then from there we've become good friends, and and you know a lot of things have changed. Uh, you know Joe helps uh, Momarsh still; he still does the social media for Momarsh, and and uh, and helps me with some of it, and helps our kennel Habitat Flats kennels. I also am one of the founders uh, of Habitat Flats and Habitat Flats kennels. Um, Habitat Flats, in case you don't know about it, it's a hunting outfitting business. Uh, we've got a location in Canada and two here in Missouri. And last year we opened up a dog training, breeding, uh, upland bird shooting facility that, that we're planning on making into a whole shooting complex this year. So got a lot going on there. And then, like I mentioned, I'm also a veterinarian. My brother and I have two clinics in St. Louis. Um, and then Joe and I have a business called Better Barnwood together. I don't know. There's stuff I don't remember, too. But anyway, a lot going on. But that's kind of the story of how Joe and I got hooked up and uh, a little bit about the, the history there and a little bit about about what I do. That's that's right. And that no man, that thinking about all that stuff, that was God dang. That was a long time ago. And just starting going to all those shows and all that crap. I'm thinking back at funny stuff through that, like down there at max selling those final stands down there at max and oh uh, just greatest sales. <laughs> some of the stuff that was going on sorry to the guys at uh, <laughs> at avery but i remember just a, kind of a funny story we were down at max and ira was outside meeting everybody and <clears throat> they knew who he was they were asking him questions and i went into to the product you know the shelf and and had into the display and there's folks coming up and uh and they were like you know some of them you know avery's a strong brand obviously and they were like oh my gosh we got these rough stands we've heard of them well they hadn't heard of the mo marsh final stand some of them and so <clears throat> i was like all right well this is you know i feel like we got a superior product here you know i'm not trying to get into that game but i was i was there to promote mo marsh so um while some of the guys that were working the avery stand weren't looking i would kind of take their their rough stand and i would kind of just cant the leg just a little bit so it wasn't locked out completely so when the dogs i would just be like well if common problem i was it is but i was like just if your dog 
if you don't know which stand to get, see which one your dog likes. So it'd hop up on the Marsh thing. It was comfortable. It would be cool. And, and they'd be like, all right, well, that's cool. I'll hop up on the rough stand. And they'd hop up on that rough stand. And it would fall over and crash. And everybody would turn and look. They'd be like, what the hell's going on here? So to the guys at Avery, sorry about that. But we uh, sold out of I'll final stands that day. I'll give Ben and, and John a warning that there's a letter coming from Ben. <laughs> We we sold a pile of final stands that day, but um, stuff like that, man. L- looking back at some of those stories, man, it makes me makes me die laughing. But uh, you know, so there. Okay, so we're gonna work through some of this stuff. But you know, another part's just gonna be hopefully being able to keep things kind of current as far as what's going on in the hunting world. And uh, so uh, you know, Ira, te- you know, a lot of people follow along with your duck camp and and your stuff on social media about about duck season so overall how for duck season kind of what was your duck season like did you did you have good success and how was it different or similar to the past few years yeah so some of you may know and and probably nobody's watching on the video portion of this but but i got my brother made me a really cool uh custom-made logbook many, many years ago, and, and I try to keep detailed records of what happens there. Um, I'm not always here, so sometimes there's lapses of what, you know, uh-oh, Joe, you still got me? Yeah. Uh, where'd you go? There you go. Um, sometimes there's lapses because, you know, I'm not here, and my brother may not record what goes on or whatever, but to get to your question i can look back through my logbook so let's look at like a six-year period my feeling is that we had a period um let's say from you know 2015 ish until 2019 ish where we had a pretty we, we had pretty good recruitment so we had pretty good uh numbers of young ducks being produced and man you can look at, at our kill numbers from habitat flats from my logbook and i mean our numbers our hunting was very good the traffic the traffic of ducks over our timber holes you know there was just uh the ducks stuck together good and the hunting was excellent and the the harvest numbers were large and then you look at 2020 so two years ago pretty much everyone across the country had dismal reports of their hunting i mean everybody's hunting was really tough in 2020 as far as I mean, there may have been an exception here and there, and ours was the same. I mean, it was difficult to get bunches to stick together, difficult to get ducks to finish. And then when you looked at the harvest summary and the logbook at the end of the year, it was down. Um, then you fast forward to this season, you know, this summer, what did everyone hear? Oh, man, it's just dismal reports. You know, production sucks. It's dry. It's going to be terrible. Pleasantly surprised when the first migrators even showed up. I mean, there was so much bad news. Right. <laughs> they even show up this year, you know, and here they came. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're gonna do it again. And we had a we had a good season. Now you look at the the harvest totals at the end of the year. Were they what they were for the four or five years before 2020? No, they weren't that high. But it was it was really good. We had good hunting. Not every day was great, but overall it was a good year. Uh, and. I feel like the reports generally have been good from people south of us. So Arkansas, uh, the few people that went to Canada had good hunting. So very optimistic about this year's hunting results as opposed to 2020. I still, you know, I think that if we get some snow up in Canada and on the prairies, 
and we have some water and we have some good production, man, I think it's going to go right back up. If we continue in this dry cycle, you know, it probably it's going to be what it's going to be. But but definitely optimistic about the results of 2021. This year, though, man, it's like around here anyways, you know, you don't like to use stupidity phrases like separates the men from the boys. Like everybody's a badass. We're out here shooting, you know, four pound ducks. But but on a year like this where it's a little bit atypical as far as the the it's a little bit tougher here. It's drier up here. You know, we had a dry year. We always have a better year on wet years. There's always more ducks flying around. It You don't have to necessarily be, you know, we're line dominated in this part of the world, which I mean, we got refuges, excellent refuge systems in, in hunting areas. But, you know, that's a good thing. A lot of public opportunity. But the problem is, or one of the one of the results of that is, if you're not on the line from where they're going to where they, they're going, you know, from point A to point B, it can, it can be a feast or famine up here, you know. So in a wet year, there's more water on different places, there's more natural water here and there. It's easier for guys to get their places pumped up and more food available. So more people have the opportunity to have better years when it's wet. But this year it was dry. So one, it's hard to keep water. So some people, you know, and, and not everybody can hunt as much as what I or I can or do should. Um, so it's like this year, you know, you hear these people, oh, it's a terrible year, it's horrible no good. I quit hunting. Yeah. Nobody wants, when you dump a bunch of money into a place, trust me, you know, you don't want to go, you want to hunt your eight person blind with electric and you know, that you set up and thought about hunting all year and doing bunches of 200 and this and that you want to go do that. But, and I want to do that. Everybody wants to do that. I want to ranger up, hop in. But like this year, more than ever, it was like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, there's a, let's have a party in heaven. She, 20 people going to shoot out or you know it wasn't like that as much this year it was like i don't know where you're going but i'm taking a boat and 17 decoys and i'm going here and so and so's going there and a lot of the guys that rode the hole and hunted their normal stuff all the time seemed to struggle and and i struggled too but was was willing to and, and able to kind of get out and get back to a little bit more like get back to hunting again you know every day it was like I'm going to, I'll try that corner or I'm going to go there or hell, maybe there's ducks over here. It was like, it was just different. It was different for me, but that probably was a good thing for me as far as just keeping me sharp and keeping me kind of, keep me, I don't know. It was kind of, that was kind of fun. Part of it, although it was kind of a struggle, it was fun. You know, there was days where I was going and getting four that if I'd had 15 people, we'd have only got four, you know, but getting in a spot, setting up different every day. It, it was kind of fun, really, honestly. Yeah, one more little touch on it. I mean, obviously, we're just talking about our itty-bitty part of the world. But yeah. We got really smart. lucky. You know, we had that flood the day before the season opened. So that was game changer for us because we were low on ducks. and we if were not. Water. So we had a flood. That was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the general trend was the traffic in those holes that are big traditional holes was good for the first three weeks or so. It was very good. And then it got tough, which is not, un, I mean, unusual. You know, usually kind of mid, mid to late November, it gets tough for a couple of weeks. And then what didn't happen that normally happens is generally the traffic working uh, yes. picks up later. And that never happened this year. So, you know, you had three weeks of decent traffic hunting. And then, man, the mojo, uh, aggressive calling, bunch of decoys, game was over. Yeah. it And that's another thing, like... People, I don't think people, you know, people see this part of the world. And when I'm talking about this part of the world, I'm talking about what people would call the Golden Triangle, you know, from Grand Pass up to Fountain Grove, you know, 
the Missouri River incorporated in there, you know, maybe Dalton areas cut off some of these, you know, Swan Lake, these areas. It's it's really a pretty small place um, in, in relation to the Midwest duck hunting, the flyway, whatever. It's pretty small. There's a lot of ducks and a lot of ducks killed. But, um, you know, the hunting here, people think, uh, I think they see the flooded corn and you hear enough about that debate and that's a whole nother thing. But I think a lot of folks think, all right, these, these folks, some of them have flooded corn. Some of the areas and some of the clubs have flooded corn and people are just going out. The ducks are fogging in, they're shooting them and it's over with. Well, one, if you've ever hunted flooded corn, unless it's flooded corn different than what I have, it ain't like it's just big bunches in your face all the time. In fact that, you know, I can count on one hand that, you know, amount of times, but it's a lot of, right. You got to have ice. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of traffic up here. So, um, you know, ducks going to places, refuges and things that, you know, they're headed somewhere. They're not going to get shot. They're training and they're, they're all going to a spot where they're not going to get shot. So to bring them off that line, um, it can be tough whenever, whenever they're really not wanting to have any part of the traffic game this year, like this year, that mid morning traffic deal, which I usually kill probably 80% of my ducks on a mid morning deal from, you know, eight to 11, you know, when it's sunny and nice wind picks up that, that flight just wasn't happening. You know, I, I was just like, all right, boys, here we go. Uh, I know something will pick up here within 10 minutes. And it, you just weren't seeing those big trading groups looking for a place to set. And um, that definitely makes it tough. I mean, from, you know, if you're going to traffic ducks like we usually do, uh, you know, several spinners, you know, motion decoys, whatever it is. This year, the second half of the season, I never had a spinner with me, never had anything. I had a pulsator now and again, to, you know, to make some ripples. But it wasn't like it was not like normal. That's for sure. Yeah, the afternoon hunting was definitely a stronger flight than the morning hunting overall. And it's it's crazy, but you know our, our conservation areas, talking those, and that's another whole different discussion. But I know like our conservation area at Fountain Grove had a really really nice season. Um, so I think depends on who you ask, but a lot of those guys that hunt Fountain Grove and and that's different. You know those managed areas. There's people in and out moving the ducks around, and there's pressure management that you know some folks aren't doing uh you know maybe privately but um you know if you ask guys who predominantly hunted our public areas they would have said maybe one of their best seasons ever i think fountain grove did have its best season ever yeah so pretty cool i don't know everything's different it it does seem like i'm hearing less negativity from down south this year than usual arkansas i know you just had a buddy stop by that had been in arkansas and sounds like towards end of the year here especially you know you hear people kind of saying, oh, it's, they're tough to kill or used up. There's no ducks. They're all up in Missouri. Well, they ain't here. I promise you that. They're not where I'm at. Pretty empty skies. Sat in a goose pit in a wetland the last three days. I haven't seen a duck and barely seen a goose. Definitely didn't pull the trigger. So they're not, right not right around our little area right here right now. And, and that would normally be an area where you couldn't go and not see a lot of ducks. Um, but, uh, okay. So from a hunting standpoint, you know, for me, I've been hawker hunting. I know you have been some too. You've had stuff going on. So have I, but I've been hunting some doing okay. Uh, but for me, like all hawker season, I love it. I hunt hawkers a lot, but I'm always like, all right, snow goose season one. It looms over your head because it's exciting. It's probably my favorite season, but it's also so much work. I've been getting some stuff ready. It's like, uh, tape, electric tape, ordering new shit just seems like it's just a, a mess and I don't guide or anything like that. I just hunt myself, but just having a snow goose rig that's set up and functions correctly is a freaking feat in itself. I know a lot of people understand what I'm saying, but it is a mess. 
But what IRA is your next? Take us through your next kind of couple months of hunting. What 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 do you got planned? Oh man, not much. Um, I'm gonna go to the NWTF uh, February 20th, and then I got some dude coming in from California, veterinary consultant, on the 29th. So. Those are a couple things there. I don't know. You know, I'll slip in and out as I can, um, but I'm probably not going to prioritize a whole lot of snow goose hunting this year. So hopefully I get out and get some turkeys, uh, planning a couple trips for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as it gets a little closer, I'm sure I'll get a little more excited about it. There's supposed to be a bunch of juvies this year. So, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll hunt just a little bit, but not really going to put a huge effort into it this year. Well, with where you're talking about going for turkey hunting, if you don't go snow goose hunting much, with depending on the day you go, it sounds very likely that you might kill more turkeys than snow geese. Depending I, on. You just never know. I mean, we were blessed to go to the Doyle Boys and have a couple of incredible hunts last year. Oh, my year. God. Um, but, uh, you know, our success around here was, at least when I was here, wasn't that great. Uh, so we'll see. Every year's different. Um, I mean, you know, supposedly – Good, and God knows that makes a difference. That makes everybody a whole lot better snow goose hunter when that happens. Going with Toehead is so fun, and it's a product of the amount of work that they put in because they oh, those two those two boys, uh, Colt and Case and Monty, all of them, what they do on those the amount of resources and time and thought they put into those spreads, and not just the spreads, but down to the down to the setup of who's where and, and who's flagging and when and who's running the, the calls and the sounds they're pumping out. It, like, I've never seen a more well-oiled machine on the snow goose side. I, maybe you have, but people people are always like, what's it like? It's it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, people are, you know, they got two pits 200 yards apart facing each other with the same exact setup. I mean, it, it's pretty cool. I plus, mean, they, it, they got the water pit, you know, right there, too, and – People are always like, what's it like hunting there? I'm like, man, I, you guys don't think I'm lying to you, but I've been there quite a bit. I've never been when we didn't kill like 70. And I've also never been when a, a train was coming down the Mississippi that you didn't get something off of. So I was like, honestly, it's a little bit like training wheels. But as many times as I have fallen off my snow goose bike, if we're talking in that, I will ride those training wheels all effing day. I mean, I will ride that thing. It is so fun. I, I it's just they they got her figured out. So well, that was like a feed hunt. So I mean, you know, you know, I've been on some unbelievable and huge numbers uh, of birds on a feed hunt where you catch, you know, the early feed and then the migration and and you know those are just they burn a place into your mind. But but it's really cool just because it's all traffic. And uh, so it's a different pace of hunt, um, but it is definitely dialed in from an equipment standpoint, a people standpoint, and a location standpoint. We put some of those videos together, and they're like, I've been lucky. to. They got some guys on their crew that are real good with the camera. And, I, you know, these last few years, I've been lucky to be able to film a little bit for them, but put, put some stuff together for them at the end of the year for their snow goose stuff. And uh, people are like, I can't believe they show some of that stuff. You know, what if people copy? I'm like, who's going to copy them? Yeah. Who can? Who can? It ain't gonna be me. I promise you one thing. If you can copy them, then you got you got other crap to worry about. You better be you, this time of year. You better be getting your income tax stuff ready because if you can buy that many snow goose decoys, you're in a different league. Yeah, but, and I'm you know we're doing the same thing at Habitat Flats, and so are a lot a lot of other people, but not to the scope of the way that they're doing it. You know, I mean it's it's pretty impressive. I don't know how many decoys they got in there. 
15, 20,000 and, and all that, you know, I mean, and, and the line is pretty reliable, pretty, oh my God. You know, pretty concentrated versus you get up here. I mean, it's definitely more scattered and spread out and, and those birds are going to a specific destination, which is generally Squaw Creek, which is nowhere near here. But anyway, uh, we, we have our huge days here. Well, also. yeah. And, uh, but it's, it, we were, I guess go, we were fortunate to have some really good days here last year. Well, and not, and not to, and, and that it's just so, it's so unique what they're doing, but not in any way to slouch, especially on Habitat Flats, who probably, you know, with what you guys have done, uh, in the snow goose game <clears throat> collectively, Tony and everybody, you know, I'm Tony kind of the start of that deal and all that, but what you guys have done there and the amount of birds you guys have killed and what you guys have set up on a migration spot, how you guys have your spots picked based on, you know, typical year or, you know, decades of, of lines and, and flights, uh, migration routes. So, I mean, I guarantee you one thing you're at down at the grand or up here, there's some damn good days to be had. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago when Arliss and Cole and Spence and them boys shot what 500 and almost 600 snow geese behind the lodge one afternoon. I mean, that stuff is, it there's there I I venture to say there'd be some huge days come out of some of them pits this year. We get we get the right if the forecast is true on on ratios then there'll be some big days. Yeah. Uh well real quick while we're talking about snow geese before we kind of roll roll forward talk about how you guys at Habitat Flats kind of what that game how that game kind of started as far as the grind back whenever you guys were snow goose guiding like what we were watching on some of the original videos. Uh, I don't remember what they're called, F5 or whatever it was, some of those videos and the original grind, because I don't feel like a lot of people, there's some people still doing it like that, but but there ain't that many that are or that get it. Oh, you know, back then, so Tony and Tyson had their little guide service, uh, TNT Snows, and they were, you know, hooked up heavy with Avery. So Avery was kind of supplying the decoys for them. And, and at that point in time, Aaron and I were kind of doing some duck stuff to, help pay some expenses and and Tony'd help us and we'd help Tony and Tyson with their snow goose deal and we had a you know the the hunters would stay here at my house that I'm sitting in right now and my dad would cook for them and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal I mean it was just a little rundown shack you know that was who who are some guys give us a couple names because some of these guides are guys that people that might listen that they would know and maybe some cool guys to have on but name a couple of the guides that you guys had well, yeah, back in the very beginning, you know, it was Field Hudnall, which everybody would be pretty familiar with that. Fred Zink came down and hunted with us a lot, and he, he didn't really guide for us, uh, but he helped. And Ben Fuyan was, uh, you know, always here from the very beginning, just a, a pillar of everything that we built. Great guy. Mark Bloss, um, you know, we were staying at Bloss's house. Is where all, that was where guide camp was. Not his house, one of his mom's farmhouses, and... Uh, Jim Hodges, I mean, you know, those that was kind of the original crew with a scattering of other people that were transient here and there, you know, mainly friends that would come and help. Big Gun Bob, uh, Kip Peck. Um, but anyway, you know, we were doing mainly a lot of a lot of feed setups, but also some migration setups, you know, and we kind of had an idea which place we ought to hunt. And of course, even back then, you're going to have your days that are just not much happens. No, no real flight, no influx of new birds, feed lines that had kind of petered out or whatever. You know, you had your bad days and bad periods, and then, you, you know, you'd have some unbelievable hunts. 
And, uh, but there was just, there was nobody doing it then. I mean, there were no other setups. Those birds weren't seeing other spreads and hearing other calls and all that like they are now. So, you know, your chances of seeing birds that were migrating and getting them to come had to have been higher back then. I mean, it, yeah, it just was, you know, we had how many pretty good juvie numbers and nobody else was doing it. But how many rigs were you all running at that time? Like if you had on a normal on a normal stretch, how many spreads or, you know, rigs of decoys would you guys be running a day? I know it depends, but how many would you have out? I mean, usually somewhere between three to five. We probably had six that were six spreads that were in our our arsenal. But back then, you know, spread was 600 decoys. I mean, that's what we were hunting over. And, full uh, bodies, yeah, layout blinds. Pretty much all full bodies and layout blinds back then, yeah. Did you have any pits you were hunting? No, no, no. But, okay, so take you through a day, though. Okay, so I'm, you know, we're guiding whatever. Uh, clients are coming in. We're on a run of clients. And it's, you know, the day starts with what, and it rolls on in. We're going to pick up that spread and move it. How does that day kind of look? I mean, it was like, you know, whatever, weeks at a time of this, but like what would a typical day be like? Well, I mean, you, you know, guys could look, watch videos and probably do a whole lot better explanation of, of what happened than what I'm telling you. But it, we're, you said day, not much happened during the day. You were hunting. You know, we were a skeleton crew. And uh, so we did most of our work at night. So generally you were sitting in a spread during the day, hoping that something happen and and taking care of business and then you know we'd have people scouting and maybe moving some decoys during the day if we had the hands but generally everybody was busy fixing broken stuff putting decoys together uh or guiding <clears throat> and then you know at night we'd make our plans for okay what do we feel like it's kind of fizzled out and you know we're not too optimistic about we're gonna pick that one up after dark and then we've got a plan for where we're going to put it tomorrow morning. A lot of times on on a feed where birds had left the refuge, gone to whatever area they were feeding in. And then most of those birds are going to stay out there on a little farm pond or a wetland unit that's close by or whatever. So we'd set it up at night and those birds would be pretty close. And then you'd have a strong hunt in the morning. And hopefully that area was, you know, an area that those geese continued to go to for several days anyway and then you know you just kind of frog along until you know until uh until you kind of ran out of geese you know and and uh that whole game you know just i don't know what all it's been i'm sure part of it's just population probably part of it's the number of spreads and stuff they see but the geese don't stage here <clears throat> as good as they used to or for as long as they used to like we'll have a bunch that get on silver and swan and uh, but it's a constant migration to the northwest. So, you know, those geese will show up during the day. They may stay for a couple of days. A lot of them show up during the morning, get a drink. And that afternoon, poof, they're gone. You know, they're going it, to fall or where they're going. It goes to show you how many snow geese there are because, you know, there will be a times that silver, when we're hunting, we, I and I have at least close to silver there. And, we'll be hunting there and it's like that's the roar is just deafening and then you know you'll you'll be reading some of our buddies are like yeah a huge influx of geese and stuff it's like man it, it's just crazy how many there must be for it to continue be a, a constant thing in motion with us still having a, quite a few but it seems like now i'm not just saying swan but 
you know, in, in our area, it seems like, you know, an extended area, it seems like those geese go further out to feed to get away from pressure. And also, man, it's tough to chase feeds right now. I mean, I, I do it a little bit, but it's tough to do it whenever you, every freaking field you go to is worked to absolute ashes. I mean, it is so hard to get a good hide in some of these fields that have been V-ripped, vertical tilled. I mean, some of these fields are ready to plant corn right now, you know? So it's, it is tough to hide and it's just, then you got to incorporate waterways, not saying that doesn't work, get on field edges, but you know, it's different from maybe even 10 years ago when less people worked every acre every year and it's been a dry year, you know, you could go to look at where those birds are feeding at, get to the spot in that 400 acre field. Those birds are feeding at, you know, now, if, especially if it's dark, I've had it. We're like, all right, well, we can't hunt there. We got to get to the edge. Well, by the time those geese have already set their wings, they're already setting their wings on the spot. They were last night and you're 400 yards away. They haven't even seen you, you know? So when well, you do get on a feed, it's tough. Beyond that, remember, you know, we've had some dry falls where, uh, where guys get in there. We also, with our, with Brandon and all the magic that he's doing, gas prices are probably going to continue to go up. God knows input costs are going up. So, yeah. you know, get a wet fall and, and diesel's $5, which is, I mean, that's probably where we're going until something changes politically. Uh, you know, we may see less of that here. I'm, I'm just saying we might, I don't know, but you know, you look at what fertilizer the input costs are going to be. No, and that's right. And we get a wet fall. We may see a whole lot less, black dirt around here for a while than we have the last few years i need i'm on a i'm walking a thin line i need farmers to do well enough that my in-laws do well enough they don't make me start paying for hunting on some spots but i also need them to feel it a little bit to where they don't go. my in-laws aren't too bad the problem is there's not that many snogies get on my in-laws so they're going to need to buy something here stat and and i'll let them know where that needs to be but uh yeah. one one thing that's funny is I hear people ask, they're like, man, with that crew, you guys had guy and snow geese. I bet you guys were, you guys were having some wild parties and get togethers and drinking. And, bu- and every time you, Aaron, whoever's like, there wasn't time for that shit. Like we couldn't go out there and just, like, it wasn't like you're just pounding beers all night, every night. Hell, there wasn't no time for it. That was the cleanest living I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> uh, well, so there's snow goose hunting. Hopefully we have an episode where we can get somebody on. We can dive deeper into that. I'm sure we will. But uh, turkey hunting, do you know what state you're going to yet? I know I'm going, uh, obviously, Missouri here on our stuff. And then I'm going to go to Tennessee and, uh, God willing, Illinois. And hopefully maybe we, you know, hopefully, you know, me and you might hook up on a couple of those and, and maybe even somewhere else. I don't know. Oh, my assortment's going to be Kansas and then uh, Missouri, hopefully Illinois if we get drawn. And then uh, I think I'm going to try to go to Idaho or South Dakota and uh, go with Bo Brooks. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. I mean, he's a he's a hoot and uh, a really talented turkey caller hunter. And uh, anyway, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So uh, that, that Illinois deal, I and I and Aaron, three of us, got to go on a deal in Illinois. Good friend of ours uh, has come to be uh, Aaron Wilson. I we went out there and hunted with them last year, man, that was a good time. Him and um, Aaron's good friends with a client of mine, a friend of mine in Iris and everyone's Chris Frischie with concealed comfort uh, pit blinds. And we, we went out there and hunted with them last year, hunted Iron Aaron fished a bunch while I looked for arrowheads and such. But we, uh, man, that was a fun time. Wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Have some, fun. have some cool farms and, uh, it's like maybe one, cool thing about it. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I hate their politics and I make fun of them, but man, they do have some, really neat country over there and can't take that away from i mean we can't poison whole state because <laughs> chicago and but uh 
but yeah, there's, you know, Illinois has got some great people and some great ground and some great hunting opportunities. Man, we had, we had fun. I know, I know I look forward to it. I deer hunted there this year too. Just, I don't know something about it over there. And and people might think that about here too, but something about it over there is just different. It's yeah. And, and the, the part that I'm seeing ain't the politics is when I'm going, I'm not even around anybody, but um, it sure is fun. Uh, okay. One, one other thing here uh, is w- what about business wise? Um, you know, I'm not asking you to deep dive into your, into your finances or anything like that with what you got going on at the clinic, but uh, business wise, what's going on right now with you and, and, Kind of what are you is there anything you're looking forward to or, or developments you want, can hit on whatever in the business world or, or at work well probably the main you know the main thing that i'm looking forward to for this year you know we just had our annual habitat flats meeting and and we're really planning on expanding our shooting sports side of our kennel business and by that i mean you know this year we did some kick and shoot pheasant stuff uh we're going to build a big shooting tower and uh, hopefully have some really fun, cool, big pheasant tower shoots next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more kick and shoot opportunity. Guys can even book, you know, they can come during when it's not waterfowl season. Right. And five stand, have a tower shoot, uh, have an upland hunt that's kick and shoot. You know, they have incredible dogs over there. The, the level of entertainment versus some of the other Missouri, uh, it ain't, it ain't even close. Yeah. So I I think that that's something I'm really looking forward to and excited about. And then as crazy as it sounds, I'm also excited about the potential for some duck hunting over there. Now, when I say duck hunting over there, about real duck hunting, I'm talking about the issues that we see with some of these young dogs where, you know, and handlers that are pretty inexperienced where, you know, we've worked their dog, we've trained their dog to a certain level, and then they take them hunting, and there's just some, there. what was black and white becomes pretty gray. So, you know, we're going to set up a little d- duck hunting simulated deal where, you know, we're going to release ducks, and they go, and then you can actually shoot them. You may have a cripple. Your dog is going to have to get in the water and experience all that, and a bunch of gunshots. And so just some of the things that or common things when you take a dog that's been trained to a certain place and then you take them into a duck hunt with all the variables that go on there. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, with the simulation of that stuff. And I think it'll make a difference uh, for the handler that may not be real experienced and just trying to help them not have their dog have a bad experience. And also for these dogs that aren't, you know, yeah you know, real experienced dogs to kind of work some of those things out before they get in the field. So I think that'll be cool. We've been fleshing that out a little bit over at the kennels. Clint, Logan, and Lauren and I have been talking about that. And it's like, you know, to, so to picture, you you know, you've got a new dog. You might not have any any hunts under it. You know, it might not be hunting season, but you're like, damn, you know, it's, I'd like to get him or her out on a hunt, you know, well, this would be an opportunity where you're going to go, you're going to have your waiters on your calls. You're going to put out decoys. You're going to be hunting with, you know, hunting air quotes with a guy like Clint Mann, um, who's the the manager over at HFK and you're going to be there and you're going to call and here's going to come. The duck's going to be just like a regular hunt, you know, in, in all, for all intents and purposes. And you're going to be able to be in a real situation where your dog's seeing live ducks, you know, react in the most realistic way that you're going to be able to have, you're going to shoot them. You're going to hit them. You're going to not hit them. You're going to wound them. You're going to do whatever. And your dog is going to have to, 
your dog is going to be introduced to an actual hunting situation. And I think that that's going to be invaluable for kind of what we're trying to do at HFK. And and I realize we probably, there might be some folks on here who don't exactly know what that is. So briefly, when you guys, you guys started Habitat Flats Kennels, you went all in on it. You set the groundwork, infrastructure, the property, all that. But what what is HFK? What what is what is Habitat Flats Kennels? I mean, it's a 220 acre farm that that uh, was in CRP. Part of it still is. Uh, we built you know a kennel facility and and uh, did a bunch of dove hunting there this year. And like I said, we started a kick and shoot program, upland program for our waterfowl hunters that are coming in. We're wanting it to be an all the cart deal. But basically, you know, it's main, mainly made for gun dogs where you can buy puppies, send your dog to get trained. Uh, we're going to have a, a seminar this summer where guys can come stay at the lodge and learn a bunch about handling and all that. But, um, yeah, man, it, like I said, the, we're going to continue with the training side and the breeding side and all that. But but our expansion goals are really more on the shooting sports side, and that's where we're focusing on putting our infrastructure and, and costs and all that stuff for this year. So that's what, kind of exciting. What, what, but what would be, what would be one of the things, you know, so there's a lot of really good dog trainers out there, um, really good ones, but what would be something maybe that you could offer at H that HFK could offer as a competitive advantage over somebody that's, you know, doing it at their own property or whatever. I, I think it's important kind of to hit on, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the things that HFK can do, with the property and what's some of the things they can get your dogs ready for that you might not be able to get at every trainer. Man, I don't want to get into it too much just because it's probably a whole standalone deal, but um, you know, I mean, our kind of our focus, it, it, at least in theory is that we have the tools in place to expose your dog to things that it might not normally be exposed to in a hunting environment. So we've got a pit line where it learns to get in a pit, you know, a dog box in a pit. We're certainly, they're going to be uh, exposed and familiar with, uh, ground blinds for dogs, um, Invisalabs, stands, stake blind to where the dog's used to going up and down a ladder, getting in a box, all that. Um, the vest, your dog's been exposed to a vest. It, it's worn a vest. It's not going to freak out when you put one on it, which is very common. So those are just some of the things that we try to do that are different from what just a regular old trainer who's, you know, trying to get a dog obedient and ready for hunt tests and whatever might do. So that those are some things that set us right. apart. Um, I, I just want to touch on some other business things because I think they're important beyond just what's going on in Ira's world. Uh, on the veterinary side of thing, you know, we're fortunate. We're lucky. We, we have nine veterinarians that work in our, our offices there. And, uh, you know, that's all going good. We're, we, we do have a heavy gun dog focus, but, uh, but we see lots of dogs and cats. It's all clicking along. We sold some equity. None of that matters to anyone here. On the MoMAR side, I feel like this is something important to touch on for our community. You know, we, along with pretty much every vendor in the community, had a very difficult time due to the supply chain issues and the production issues overseas getting product to market. So, like, if you went to go try to buy decoys, equipment, an Invisalab, an Invisaman, uh, shotgun shells i mean everything was in short Good supply luck. and you think it was expensive i'm just gonna say and i may be wrong i hope i'm wrong but pretty much everyone sold whatever they had at a loss this year because you have to have cash flow to stay alive so even if you're selling it and losing money 
that's better than getting it after the season when you're not going to turn your inventory and having no money to pay for it. So you'd rather sell it at a loss and have some cash flow than finally have it, have no way to move your inventory and you're you're bleeding to the point where I mean there's certainly maybe some some brands that go out of business as a result of what happened this past year. All the pricing was already set with the retailers, right? So I mean they may have bumped it up a little bit, but you can't just go doubling prices on stuff after the pricing's been established historically right. put in print. So I'm just telling you, if it's January and there's something you want, you might want to go and buy it while it's available, A, because who knows what's going to happen in 2022. The one thing I can promise you is that prices are going to go up significantly this fall. So if you want a bargain and you want to be able to get it, buy now. So that's just my input there. Um, Momar's continued to be successful. Man, I'm not going to lie. It was, a, it was a bad year just because we didn't have stuff to sell. I don't think we got you know, our inventory, just like pretty much across the board for vendors. I mean, it was stuff was really hard to find until mid-December. So that's my two cents worth there. On the Habitat flat side, uh, you know, we've made a big change this year. At the Grand, we made an executive decision to half the number of people that were hunting there and we increased the prices accordingly. And so, you know, that's a major shift. Uh, we're going to up our level of service. We're going to decrease our, our pressure. I mean, they're a resource just like anything else. You don't have to be a genius to figure out what's going to happen to the hunting and the experience. It's going to be better. Um, I'm not saying it was bad. I mean, that's relative. We, we shot a pile of ducks down there this year. But some transparency and insight into what's going on, that's what's happening. We're still operating similarly at our lodge in Sumner. Um but yeah, that's 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 the deal. And then the other big change, obviously, is that we're going to start offering a non-hunting season shooting package for guys to come up and uh, still have the lodge experience and hang out and enjoy each other's company or have a meeting or whatever the case may be. But you're not going to be going and, and shooting, you know, wild waterfowl like right. was typical offering. What you hit on that product stuff that to me that. <clears throat> says a lot there's a lot of things you can take from that but one thing is you know it, it's going to put a huge premium on with as hard as things are to get and as the price increases on them and just availability you know too even if money's not an issue for you or, or price doesn't matter the availability it's going to be that much more important to get products to invest in products that are going to last a while i mean you don't want to buy junk you know, that you don't want to buy waiters that are going to, that, I mean, that waiters wait, is probably. Wait a minute. What'd you just say? You don't want to buy, you don't want to spend a bunch of money on waiters that are going to leak. You don't want to, I mean, hey, this is all assuming that somebody gives a shit we and I don't. Right now, we need to pop up a picture of you and those. Dogs. I mean, I'll promise you one thing that hasn't experienced any issues in, in, in supply chain, and that is the Chinese <laughs> Tyvek waiter market. We're still fine. We're kicking. Okay. We're alive. And at 67 bucks a pair, I'm going to be, my kids are going to be wearing them damn things. But what I'm saying is like for Momarsh, you know, for a product, if you want an Invisalab and you're hunting in a spot where you need that product and you don't have one, or you do have one, you better be glad you do have one. And, and that it's hopefully going to last, or you got somebody that can service your product. 
And if not, you need to invest in one because it's going to be tougher to get and it's going to be important to have the right stuff with availability the way it is. Yeah, and I mean, we're just talking, unfortunately, about our little world and, you know, the waterfowl focus, but God, Hell, it's everything. It, it's, it's everything that is not made here in the U S which there's not much made here. And God knows if it is made here, it's already expensive, but I'm telling you just like stupid things like bag chairs and coolers and, you know, pajamas for your kid. I mean, golly, you know, stuff's going up. It, it's, it's not the, the picture that's out there and just seeing, you know, what I know, on the Momar side, well, that extrapolates into all that other stuff that you see at Walmart. So, I mean, golly, I just, I just don't think we're heading in a good direction there on the, on the consumable side, no matter what you're talking about. Well, even better barnwood. I mean, how much more organic or whatever can, can you get from, we cut an oak tree down, we plane it down and we've got a, a product. Well, you don't think about the fact that these loggers and these foresters are sitting there with diesel prices going from you know, close to two dollars, close to you know four fifty or whatever it even is. Um, what whatever their stuff costs, every bit of input that these producers or harvesters have, just kind of like farming, has gone up. So now it's like you know when you're talking about oak costing you whatever a board foot, well you can add twenty percent to that because they got to pass that cost along to maintain their profits or standard of living or viability of their business. Just stuff that you wouldn't think would be affected by politics, the economy, COVID, whatever else. I mean, COVID itself doesn't stop those trees from being available, but COVID and COVID shortages, for instance, might have made a difference in some of the products that folks need to harvest those resources we got. And it just seems like some of the stuff that I can't believe has been affected has been affected. And we're, we're seeing that even at the most basic type of business you can have. Well, guys, I mean, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but if you believe that 7% number on inflation for 2021, uh, you probably also believe that Biden really, truly won the election. Oh. I mean, seven you percent know, inflation. Uh, if you believe it, that's great. But I hope we only have seven percent in twenty twenty two. You better put a three percent three in front of that seven. The way what yeah. I've said. Um. So okay, good discussion. I, I don't want to keep people for too long on this intro one without a guest and all that stuff and without some other questions. But one thing that I would like for you guys to do, anybody who's listening or cares, um, what would be cool for us is if you could. Ira and I are both on Instagram. You can look us up. Mine's uh, at Joe Weimer Media. I think Ira's Ira Momarsh. Is that right? So it, it, with with a little bit of looking, you can find us on social media. I would love to get some direct messages or whatever from people with folks that you might like to have on the podcast, folks you know that um, or might have affiliations with that you'd like us to have on or questions that you have for either of us. Uh, I think that would help our experience, your experience be a lot better. And it'd be cool to get some different questions from folks across the area. Yeah. Um, Hopefully it's a little community that gets started and we get a little traction. I don't know a dang thing about podcasts other than I go on them and talk every once in a while, but uh, it'd be cool if, you know, we could get a little following, a little community, and just have some interaction. And uh, so hopefully it's something that people can enjoy a little bit. Hopefully something to keep us pumping a little bit through the offseason. I know for me it's like I find myself looking forward to the damnedest things whenever there's nothing to shoot. So it don't take much to get me going in the offseason. So hopefully hopefully I'm not the only one because maybe we set the bar low enough so people will be able to actually enjoy what we're putting out. But, no, for, with that being said – you know, for Fryer and I, thank you guys for listening to this first episode. Um, we're looking forward to getting this thing kicked off. Like I said, hopefully it works. If it don't, it won't be the first time we've done something that didn't. But um, 
but hopefully you guys can look forward to hearing stuff about kind of the 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 different things we got going on, the different things some folks in our community got going on, and uh, hopefully you take something from it, even if it's just a laugh or, or shaking your head. Um, but uh, but I, I'm looking forward to it, and I really appreciate you guys for tuning in. So with that being said, uh, I know I and I enjoyed this conversation and look forward to the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Later.